Chapter Thirty Two of Babu Jabberjee, B.A. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Babu Jabberjee, B.A. by F. Anstey. Chapter Thirty Two Containing the Conclusion of the Whole Matter and which many readers will receive in a spirit of chastened resignation, Mr. Jabberjee's final farewell. Queen's Bench Court, number mm, 2 p.m. Honorable Justice Honeygale is now summing up, in such a very nice, chatty, confidential style, that it is impossible to hear one half of his observations, while the remainder is totally inaudible. Nevertheless, I already gather that he regards the affair with the restricted, narrow-minded view that it is simply the question of damages. He appears to be now discussing whether my testimony that I am of such excessive natural funkness as to be intimidated by a few threats into my matrimonial engagement is humanly credible. I cannot at all comprehend why, at his frequent references to my alleged tiger slaughters, which, with shrewd common-sense sapience, he seems to consider mere ideally fabricated fibs and fanciful yarns, the whole court should be so convulsed with unmeaning merriment, nor why so stern a judge does not make any attempt to check such disorderly interruptions. So far as my imperfect hearing can ascertain, he has been instructing the jury that they may utterly dismiss from their minds my highly ingenious plea of inability to offer any other kind of matrimony than a polygamous union. Surely a very, very slipshod off-hand method of disposing of such a nice sharp quillet of the law. He is talking to them about my means, and has thrown out a rather apt suggestion that I may have been led by sheer vaingloriousness and oriental love of hyperbole into exaggerating my resources. However, he sees no reason to doubt my competence to pay a reasonable amount of damages, an opinion with which I am not so pleased. If the jury think me a gay sort of Hindu deceiver, who has heartlessly trifled with the affections of a simple, unsuspecting English girl, that will lead them to award substantial damages. If, on the other hand, they consider myself an inexperienced oriental ninny-hammer of a fellow, who has been entrapped into an engagement by an ambitious, artful young woman, why, that may incline them to inflict a merely nominal penalty. But why, I should like to know, does a judge, who is infinitely more capable than a dozen doltish jurymen to express a decided opinion, thus put on the double-faced mask of ambiguity, and run with the hare and hello with the hounds like some lukewarm from Loadicea? Now he is mentioning certain circumstances, which he is bound to tell the jury have made a strong impression on his own mind. Alack, that owing to the incorrigible mumbling of his diction, I cannot succeed in ascertaining what these said circumstances are. He has begun, I think, to discourse concerning my latest offer of marriage in open court. What a pity that honorable judges should not study to acquire at least ordinary proficiency in such a simple affair as elocution. It may strike you, gentlemen, that if the plaintiff had any genuine affection for the defendant, or any actual intention of linking her lot with his, she would... The rest is a severe mumble, 
or again you may take into consideration but precisely what they are to take is to myself a dumb show still after making every possible allowance for the idealizing effects of the tender passion upon the female judgment i confess i find it a little difficult to persuade myself that again i am not in at the finish but from the bristling and tossing of jessamina's hat plumes i am in great hopes that it contains something complimentary to myself he has just concluded with the observation that after what they have seen and heard of the defendant during the proceedings the jury should find little difficulty in arriving at a fairly accurate estimate the loss which this young lady of british birth and upbringing would sustain by her failure to secure such a husband from the last it is clear that his honourable lordship meant that in secret he has the highest opinion of my merits though he entirely overlooked the obvious fact that he would have better carried out his benevolent and patronizing intentions towards me by affecting just now to consider me only a worthless poor chap but even the most subtly trained european intellects are curiously backwards in such elementary chicaneries three p m the jury are assembling their heads they seem generally agreed except a couple of stout ones who are lolling back and listening with mulish simpers if i were certain that they were fellow colleagues from punch i would encourage them by secret signs to persevere but who knows that they may not be partisans of the plaintiff if so they deserve to be continually punished for such obstinate dull-headedness the foreman has asked that they may retire whereupon justice honeygale answers them certainly and retires his own person contemporaneously three fifteen p m the jury are still absentees in answer to my questions my solicitor says that as far as he can see the damages can't be under two hundred and fifty pounds and may amount to a cold thou or thousand adding that if i had only let him brief witherington q c i might have got off with fifty pounds or even what is nominally called a farthing but i say to him in such a case how could i possibly have acquired any forensic distinction to which he has no reply ready three thirty the jury are still delayed by the two stouts i have just attempted to chat over the affair with jessamina and madame mekeltov and ascertain whether the former will not accept myself at the eleventh hour as payment in full of all damages costs etc mrs m replies that the jurymen are notoriously in favour of her daughter and that she would as soon see her in gates of grave as the bride of a black man on closer approach to jessamina i have made the rather disenchanting discovery that she has rendered her nose lilac from too much superfluity of face powder perhaps after all the damages may not be so very the jury are coming back honourable judge is fetched hurriedly mr associate asks have you agreed upon your verdict answered that they have do they find for plaintiff or defendant for plaintiff and the damages twenty-five thou my stars oh gemini who'd have thought it my progenitor will never pay the piper for such an atrocious cacophonous tune i am done for three thirty five p m all right i was deceived by aural incorrectness it is not twenty five thou 
but twenty-five pounds. 3.45 p.m. Hip huzzar, cock-a-doodle-doo, a mere bite from a flea. The plaintiff has fallen into hystericals from disappointed avariciousness. There is some idle talk about costs following the event, and certifying for a special jury, a luxury for which it seems I am not to fork out. The case is over. Outside in the corridor and hall, I was a signature of neighboring eyes, and vociferously applauded as a good old nigger, and told that now they shouldn't be long, though for what else they were waiting I could not learn. Madame Mankletov did overtake me near the doors, and invite me to tea and talk in a coffee and bun emporium, hinting that she had recently misunderstood the state of her daughter's heart, and that she had, in reality, been ardently desirous from the first to accept my offer. To which I replied that the gates of grave were now hermetically closed, and that the plaintiff, like the fabulous canine, had thrown away the meaty bone of a first-class opportunity in exchange for the rather flimsy and shadowy form of a twenty-five-pound note. But, as a chivalrous, I refrained from saying that I had been thus totally put off by an overpowdered nose. Then I proceeded, amidst cheering populaces up Chancery Lane to a certain bar, wherein young Howard regaled myself and solicitor very handsomely upon anchovy sandwiches and champagne wine, after which I returned to Hereford Road full of ovation and cheerfulness. It is practically certain that my sire, the Mukhtir, will cock a hoop with paternal pride on hearing by telegram of my moral victory, and celebrate same with fireworks and festivities, besides sending ample remittances for all costs out of pocket, etc., so I am now to return shortly to Calcutta, when my time will be too exclusively taken up with forensic triumphs for any further jotting or tittling for punch or similar periodicals. After all, for a fellow who was able to enchant multitudes, and persuade their intellects and reasoning faculties by dint of golden verbosity of diction, mere sedentary journalism is a very mediocre and poorly paid pursuit. Notwithstanding my sensation as a contributor, I shall, on arriving in India, infallibly recommend Punch to all my innumerable aunts, families, and friends as a highly respectable periodical, provided that the munificent and free-hearted generosity of those honorable misters, the editor and proprietors, shall account me worthy to draw a monthly retiring pension for my distinguished services. And, with prostrated respects to my honored readers, and their respective relatives, I have the honor to remain, ever and anon, their Excellency's most grateful, humble, and obedient servant, H. B. J. The End End of Chapter 32 Recording by Todd End of Babu Jabberjee, B. A. By F. Anstey